Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 4, Episode 15, Death Takes a Holiday. Let's get this show on the road. Hi, everyone. Due to the nature of this episode, we will be discussing gun violence in our reflections and our call to action. If that's not something you want to hear us discuss, you can skip this episode or that section entirely. We don't mind. We just want you to feel safe and take care of yourselves. Thank you. This was an interesting episode. Um, I didn't expect as many ramifications as there were. I'm going to assume very clearly that the long game, we're going to talk about Pam a little bit, uh, but I, I just didn't expect this to be um, goodbye to Pam. I'm really like, I'm a little heartbroken. I know. I feel like lately they've kind of been, the episodes have been about kind of showing us that the creative team means business and that no one is sacred or no one is off limits kind of thing. And uh, Pam is, is one of those like, I appreciate when a show can do that because it shows they're not afraid to pull a punch here and there. Like, while I don't expect we'll ever let one of the brothers fully die, and I'm pretty safe in saying that the two of them make it to the end, I unfortunately already know that some characters, despite making it very close to the end, are not safe. They could. I feel like there was more to her story, more they could have used her for, more plots I could have driven with her, and they just kind of, like, got rid of her a little unceremoniously. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Let's start with the recap. How about that? I'm ready. Count me down. Three, two, one. Cold open on some guys walking out of a bar. One of the guys accidentally ends up getting shot. Accident, whatever. But he lives miraculously. And then the brothers are all like, let's look into this town where no one seems to die. And the last kid person to die was some poor kid. So they go to this town. Can't figure out what's going on. Interact with Alistair, which is all like, oh, we're screwed. And then they decide the only smart thing to do is become ghosts. Clearly, that's the right move. If you can't beat them, join them, I guess. This is where Pam comes in. Pam makes them able to walk into the spirit world. They then get a whole training montage with a young kid. And they get Dean gets reunited with his first Grim Reaper, which is kind of romantic and heartful, but really sad at the same time. But then she gets kidnapped and they have to face Alistair. And they ultimately end up saving the Reapers and thus don't take the seal. And Alistair gets away and Dean has a goodbye with his reaper the end like really like as i'm doing this recap i'm realizing like oh there really isn't like i mean yes they they stop the 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 seal uh yes we obviously have pam dying in that final kerfuffle with a demon breaking into her, her hotel room really no permanent damage is done and i don't feel like we grow too much i feel like this is one of those like setting up kind of episodes We'll see who wrote it, and it, start, it starts making sense the moment you know. But I think this is kind of to establish the world post-Siren. There's something about this episode that feels like, it, it feels like that move in a chess game where you're like, that was a weird move, but you did it for a reason. I now need to think a few steps ahead to figure out why you did that. This episode actually takes its roots in a much earlier episode as well. So, like you said, Pam is back and Pam is dead. 
I mean, this is really the way that the show treats most of its female characters. So I, I guess I'm not particularly shocked because it just happens so often. It's not unusual to 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 have a female character come on and you're like so excited to see her. And then by the end of the episode, she's dead. I feel like with the last few women they've killed off unceremoniously, I had a little more of a reaction to this one almost felt stale because they've done it so many times. Speaking of women showing up. Tessa is also back and Tessa doesn't die and she will be back again eventually. I'm excited to hear she comes back because I really do like her and I'm very intrigued to see where that relationship with Dean goes. Dean says that he wants to go to Victoria's Secret and get his peep on, which is basically like the horny teenager wishful thinking. I think we've become very good at identifying these moments where it's horny Dean for the sake of making Dean look horny. Yeah, I feel like this episode in particular is kind of strange with like the way that the boys are both kind of like peacocking. Tessa also gives Dean his memory back from the day that John died. Now I have a question. Does this mean that Dean remembers John apologizing to him? Oh, but that opens up some doors. I'd have to go rewatch that apology scene and think about it now. I remember that when we were talking about In My Time of Dying, I was particularly upset that he didn't remember. I had completely forgotten at the time that he would remember eventually. And now that he remembers, it's sort of like opening this door for me to say, okay, does anything change in the way that Dean is expressing himself and particularly expressing his grief about his father from this day onward? Now, keep in mind, it's also very possible that the writers just kind of did that for shits and giggles and then like didn't think about the John apology at all. Interesting little tidbit. When I went back, because I when I realized that this was kind of ongoing, that there were a lot of like little callbacks to In My Time of Dying, I went back to our notes for this particular episode and I realized that this was the first time that the phrase angel watching over you was used. And it's used again in this episode. And it kind of made me think about how those two episodes are related both in theme and now in verbiage as well. Well, I think repetition is an amazing tool. It can be considered cliche, but I think it really gets a point across sometimes. So with the assumption that kind of like the way we're reviewing the episode, they realize we're bringing Tessa back. Let's go back and watch that episode and get some reminders of what happened with them, that whether it was subconscious or on purpose that that line would carry over, I think does just strengthen that relationship with the two episodes. We'll talk again a little bit more about that in story time. There's this super relatable moment when basically Dean and Sam are kind of realizing that they're getting older. It basically happens when Dean references uh, Mr. Miyagi and Cole has no clue who he's talking about. I just find that a little too relatable at my very advanced age of 34. As someone who's about to turn 33, we're all still children on the inside. I get this. I had that very nice experience of going back, being in school with people who were several years younger than me because I changed programs back when I was in college or Seja. I got to experience this firsthand in a few small cases where someone was only a few years younger. I feel like this case is a bit exaggerated because given the age difference between even just Sam being the younger of the two and this child, I mean, it's a pretty huge age gap. Listen, I finished my undergrad at age 30. I know what, what it feels like to have a very big age difference with your classmates. I don't even know what age you're supposed to finish an undergrad at. That's how bad I was in school. I didn't even go that far. 
We get a hint at the four horsemen of the apocalypse when Alistair talks about an old friend and his three amigos. Who, funny enough, apparently don't ride horses, according to him, which is a little bit, I don't know, just a little upsetting. I feel like that's kind of a major part of their lore. I'm a huge fan of the four horsemen. I think there's such a cool myth and legend about them, and I just love them. And if this means we are going to meet any of them, let alone all four of them, I am beyond excited. There is also a lot of talk of miracles in this episode, and it also concludes with basically this idea that there is no such thing as miracles. So this kind of puts us on alert for the rest of the season and also, I guess, for the rest of the series in a way. I was kind of hoping that maybe we get like one like, I don't know, something crazy from God or something like, yeah, I can do one every so many years and you've used yours up. Well, I can tell you for sure that we at least get one very concrete miracle. You know what? I will take that. That's going to be really fun. I hope. Maybe it's a dog. You never know, right? (laughs) Could be a miracle puppy. And finally, we'll talk about this in critical time, but there's an in-memoriam note at the end of this episode dedicating the entire season to Kim Manners. Well, on that note, why don't we head to story time? Because we do have a lot to talk about this episode, too. This week, our theme is regret. And the etymology of regret is? I first like to kind of know, like, what comes to your mind when you first hear regret? Because it's a word that we tend to use often, but that we don't necessarily have to explain all that often. So I'd be curious to see, like, how, what is your understanding of regret? To preface, I do discuss regret or at least some personal regrets in my reflections and call to action this week. So it's definitely top of mind because they're pretty fresh. But I guess regret is to me that looking back at something and wishing you had done something differently. It actually comes from the old French regretter, which itself comes from Germanic greet, but not greet as we know it today in modern English. Greet as in weeping or crying. The word regret comes from the idea of mourning, weeping, and lamenting. And when I found this out, I sort of realized that regret is a form of mourning. When you regret doing something or not doing something, you're mourning your life as you think it would be if you had or hadn't done that thing. So we're basically going to try to keep that in mind as we discuss the choices of Sam and Dean in this episode. And although I really do feel like this week, it's not so much about a concrete choice that happens in the episode and more of like something that's ongoing or or stuff that they're kind of remembering, perhaps. And a bit, I guess, a part of an argument that's been brewing for some time and that's kind of becoming inevitable. When you think about regret, like we said, it's less... It's less of the choice made or not made. It's more the looking back at choices. So if I can dive right into discussing our uh, tallest bean, Sam, he lies to Dean about the encounter with Alistair in the cemetery. And that lie just felt lazy. Like he wasn't even trying to cover up what he was doing. We've seen these two lie to each other, to other people, to cover things up. I mean, how long did Sam keep this whole thing under wraps for so long? And then his big story here is, yeah, Alistair just couldn't push me away Demon Lee and then just left. Like, yeah, there's more to this. And the fact that Dean doesn't really, like, dig into it feels really out of place. And I think the point of Sam's regret here is that 
he regrets not having used these powers sooner. He regrets having like put them on a back burner because he thought they were wrong. He regrets believing the angels were the right people and he was doing it for them. It really comes down to he's kind of tired of hiding his what he believes or even I would consider to be his true self that does have these demon powers. And he is now living without those regrets and letting himself be. So when it comes to what happened, technically, as much as I called it a lie, it was, yes, an omission of all the details. But at the end of the day, it's Alistair tried, couldn't do it. And before I can confront him, he left. I completely agree with you. I think that he regrets not using his powers sooner, particularly like I think that he regrets having stopped training with Ruby. You know, I know that it's not explicitly stated. But I, I really think that that's what it is. I think that he's thinking that if he had chosen to continue with the training, whatever it is, then the heartbreak of this episode wouldn't have happened. Pam would still be alive. Cole would have gone with the Reaper immediately. And so would the other people in town, I guess. But because maybe maybe he would have been able to exercise or to kill Alistair earlier. And I think that he feels responsible for all of that. The choices made this week were more decisions made because of their regrets. It almost works backwards in a bit, where usually we, we, we discern the theme from the act. Here, the act is discerned from the theme. So, like you said, because he regrets not having trained with Ruby, he regrets hiding these powers from himself and from people. He feels responsible now, and he's now acting differently because of those regrets to try to undo what was done. Right, exactly. He, he feels like he's atoning for that action, essentially. And, you know, another one of those actions that he takes that he does not feel bad about is that promise to Cole. That hurt more than I think most things the show has done to us. Just Sam who is the goodest boy, outright lying to a child. And like, yes, I understand the greater good. I understand it, you know, the ends justified the means. But at the same time, like that was just cold. It's a very uncomfortable episode in many ways. And I think that that was definitely one of those moments. Do we think Sam regrets doing that? No, I don't think he regrets doing it at all. I think that, again, because he thinks that the ends justify the means at this point in the story. He thinks that in order to do something good, he needs to do this, quote unquote, bad action. And therefore, the bad action is wiped, I guess, by the good result or justified by the good result. I think Sam should have had to pay for that in some way. I think because I feel like when Tessa finally does come for Cole, Sam's not there. Like Sam should have had to be there and watch this child realize his lie. Yeah, you're mad. You're mad at him. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but tallest bean, go stand in a corner. Let's talk about the good brother today. I think a part of this episode is about lying for to make people feel comfortable right the whole discussion between tessa and dean about you're going to a better place you know at least they're no longer in pain kind of thing like there's this idea that lying to comfort someone is okay but i would say that in this case i don't think it was for cole's comfort i think it was for the mission and so and so i think that's why it's not sitting super well with me 
What do you have for Dean this week? Well, I think that Dean's regret in this particular episode is that he didn't go with Tessa in 201 in my time of dying. Uh, And now that is explicitly stated in the text because he says, the pain of losing my father and Sammy, I just, I wish I'd gone with you for good. And this moment also kind of makes me look back on season two as a whole, where Dean is having some pretty intense moments of like suicidal ideation. And I find it like somewhat cathartic to hear from him directly, to know that he was aware of that. Because I think that it proves that even if Dean doesn't always talk about the things that he's feeling, maybe the way that we wish he would, or certainly the way that Sam wishes he would, He's still reflecting on them and learning from them and making sense of them in his own way. I mean, it's heartbreaking to hear a character say those things and to understand them and side with them in that way. As you pointed out in the grander picture, I do like what it says about Dean as a character. What I don't like is what it kind of leads me down to next. And that is this feels like it's a slippery slope in Dean's regrets because, I mean, I don't think it's a secret, but I mean, Dean regrets having to become a hunter. You know, he regrets not being allowed to live out his life the way that he wanted to. You know, we 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 sit here and talk about the true Dean, the Dean we don't get to see, the Dean that he has to mask with masculinity and being outwardly strong and being daddy's good little soldier. He regrets not being allowed to be himself. Weirdly, to tie to another episode that is not 201 for once, I think we see a really true example of this specific regret in Dean when he first meets Joe because he gets to he gets to have like just this one brief moment of not putting up the act and is simultaneously relieved by not having to do it, but hurt that he can't keep doing it. There comes a time in everyone's life where they have to let go of the life that they wish they had had, or like the life that they envisioned themselves to have, to embrace the life that they do have. And I think that that is now, or, you know, if we were in a, not on Supernatural, you know, on a, on a regular, I guess, show that allows for personal growth for the characters, I think that that would be Dean's journey where he would have to kind of like decide if he wants to remain a hunter or if he wants to to stop completely to do something else to take a break to I don't know but again because we're on Supernatural because this is network TV it's not going to happen he's just gonna keep on doing exactly the same thing that he's been doing for the past few years and that's fine uh, you know, it keeps us entertained and it keeps this podcast going. So we can't we can't complain. But I will say, though, that we do get confirmation at one point that Dean has thought about all this and has made peace with the life that he does have. And I think that that is incredibly helpful for me in in kind of like going through the motions of this 15 season saga. Yeah, I feel like we've I feel like we've had different episodes where this wanes and wavers a bit from escaping the Jin's reality because going back to being a hunter is the right choice to save those people to being back in time and trying to save his mother saying, screw it, if I can get all of us out of this and everyone happily ever after, it's worth the pain and suffering of knowing these people are going to suffer because we're not there to save them. And I think that's 
human and normal to not, you know, be a hundred percent set on every decision you've ever made in your entire life and to still make decisions that are wild sometimes because you just don't have all the information or you're working off base emotion. Well, see, there you go. I think that one thing that I really love about this episode is that Dean says, you know, I've done things, horrible things, and someone upstairs still decided to give me a second chance. It just makes me feel, I don't know. So I think that this is kind of our opening to talk about how to, you know, because I don't want to, I don't want to really say move on from regret, but maybe carry on from or carry on with regret. For the listeners, I just rolled my eyes, but gave her that smile of like, I see what you did there and damn, it was good. Well, because moving on is not the same as carrying on, you know, and there's a lot of things that you can't move on from but that you can carry on with kind of thing. And and I think that that's a very important distinction. So Dean is basically showed kindness and understanding from an unknown source, someone upstairs. And he sort of starts to believe that he's worthy of that kindness and that understanding. So maybe a key concept here is showing yourself kindness and understanding when you're living with regret. I mean, I don't want to take away from my reflection this week, but I'm going to have to wholeheartedly agree with you. <laughs> well, before we give away all of your uh, personal reflection, is there another place in this episode where you see regret? I feel like we need to look at the moment where Sam is reacting to Pam's last words. Where she basically says, I know what you did. I know what you are. I know what you're doing. And like it, very much not approving of it. And I think after having discussed Sam's reaction to no longer regretting this side of him, he is now being basically forced to look at it again from someone else's point of view. Horrible, horrible pun there. I apologize. We have Sam finally accepting who or what he is now being told again that it's not good. And maybe he has to reflect on that again. You know, when you're so decided to do something like no matter what that thing is. When somebody gives you advice that's contrary to what you would want them to say, it just like you you kind of like just dig in your heel and just go at it like more, even stronger. I feel like that's what's happening with Sam. And anything else this episode for you? Well, I mean, you know, I think that it's important to kind of say that, like, we see regret in Cole and his mom, you know, both wishing that they could have done something to prevent his death. I think that there's Pamela also wishing that she had never met the brothers. You know, that's stated pretty explicitly. We also see some regret in the man that was shot through the heart. He regrets not being a better father to his daughter, which is basically another parallel to John regretting not having been a better father in uh, in my time of dying. So I think that, you know, even though those are, again, pretty explicitly stated, it's kind of important to bring them in. Shall we move to critical time? Yes. So this episode was written by Jeremy Carver and directed by Steve Boyum. Yeah, the the reason why I made the comment that I made about the theme is because Jeremy Carver is kind of known for writing very angsty episodes. And so this is definitely one of them. Yeah, I, I can I can see the angst in this week. This week had a pretty good uh, level of angst to it. Would you like to delight us with some lore? I... 
was not prepared for this. Nope. I can't imagine many people really are. It was sudden, sure. It hurt, but that was gone too. Everything was gone. I was alone, standing next to the burnt remains of a tree, the flame just barely holding up against the rain. Then my corpse lay next to it. Sure, you can do that whole thing where you tell me you shouldn't, you know, hide under a tree to get out of the rain and get struck by lightning. But I mean, have you ever seen lightning hit a tree? Anyways, I digress. I'm still here. I'm still standing here, not moving, as if somehow that'll help, like I'm facing a T-Rex in Jurassic Park. I'm watching as several figures congregate nearby. Damn, like four more just showed up? And not even like they arrived, like they just, there's sort of just more of them now? Huh. It's weird, and I can safely assume there's probably a cultural reason for this, but most of them do look familiar. Not like I know the guy kind of familiar, but like I've seen his picture, or well, a depiction of him, mostly in fantasy material. Because up until today, I never really assumed a picture of a black cloaked skeleton with a scythe was real, but um, hey, there they are. Uh, or she. You never really think about the gender of a skeleton, do you? Uh, I mean, really, why would you? Oh man, did two more just show up? Is that one riding a horse and that one on a buffalo? Okay, I guess they're trying to decide what to do with me or who takes me wherever next? The old woman keeps looking back at me as they appear to be talking, and I can't help but notice that one in the white robe just kind of stands out like a sore thumb, like really didn't get the memo and the dress code for this thing. I'm also a little disappointed that none of them have like the blue flaming hair. I kind of just expected that one, but that might just be Disney messing with me. Well, I hope whichever one does take me is cool. Maybe one of the ones with the dog heads. That seems like it'd be interesting. Uh, maybe they'll be bad at chess. That could be useful. No, wait, I want that one. The sword wielding bird lady. Yeah, sword bird lady. That's the one I want. Take me. I'm good. Let's go. There is a lot of Reaper lore in a lot of cultures. I feel like this is one of those ones, again, where just every single region of the world, culture, religion, myth, history, they all have their variant of when you die, your soul is taken somewhere else to whatever lies beyond, whether that be the dog-headed ones, like I mentioned, Anubis in Egypt, whether that be the classic Americanized version of the Grim Reaper with the cloak and scythe, whether that be the burning corpse of a Japanese woman in some cultures. There's something for everyone. They all have their own stories. As I said, I'm a little bummed that none of them have a blue flaming uh, head like Hades did in Hercules. But I had to end it with two of my favorite references, which is obviously the holy battlefield that is the Norse afterlife where you were taken from with the Valkyries. And also the classic whole playing chess with death to try to get out of your uh, deal, which I assume would be a bigger deal. Like I looked up like playing games with death because of that whole like it's been satirized by so many different things. I'm obviously thinking of Bill and Ted, the second movie here. There's like one story where a guy plays chess with death, not because he thinks winning it will save him, but because it will keep him on Earth longer. And then it just spiraled into a bunch of parodies from there. That's too funny. I just thought it was a really funny thing to do with death. And I just think there's such an interesting creation for so many different cultures. So I just like the idea of trying to bring as many as I could into a weird scenario and be the outside observer for once. You're going to need to think a lot about death, actually.
Wow, that's not a menacing thing to say to somebody. <laughs> right, no, I'm so sorry. I, I feel vaguely threatened. <laughs> it's not a threat. <laughs> it's a promise. It's a promise. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a warning. <laughs> if I ever, like, disappear for a few recordings and you're like, where did Drew go? Go check with Mary. Mary, what do you have for us this week? So I promised that we would talk a little bit more about it. So here it is. At the end of this episode, we're showed pictures of Kim Manners on the set of Supernatural with the caption, we dedicate this entire season to Kim Manners. We miss you, Kim. So you and I, Drew, are going to be discussing a roundup of the episodes that he directed on our post-show, which you can find on Patreon or Coffee. But the last episode of Supernatural that he is credited with directing was actually Metamorphosis. He also directed a lot of episodes for The X-Files, which honored him by having Mulder sit against the gravestone engraved with Kim's name, date of birth, and death, as well as the phrase, kick it in the ass. And we're going to be hearing that phrase on Supernatural quite a bit. And every time it's always going to be a very conscious nod to Kim because he was really known for saying that often. Kim died of lung cancer in January 2009. And one last note about the constant callbacks to In My Time of Dying in this episode. Kim is the one who directed it. Oh. Oh, that is like a perfect, perfect cherry on top. Oh, you know, an episode, an episode about death that called back to an episode about death. And that while, yes, I feel like some of the story this week was kind of talk about how we lie about death. Sometimes we try to make it feel better than it really is. There's a part of me that feels like someone who worked on a show like this, who put that kind of passion into these types of shows really would have connected with that kind of episode. Like that's purely from my own point of view, but I feel like Kim having his name attached one last time to this episode in that way would have really like respected that. Certainly. Let's go and have a look at what our community has to say this week. This week, we have a message from Lucia. And before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. Where do you see regret in Supernatural? What do you think Cass regrets? Or to respond to anything else we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Hey guys, it's Lucia. I had some additional thoughts on what happened in Monster Movie after listening to Marie and Drew talk about Dean and the mask that he puts on. And I just thought I'd send him over. I thought everything they said was so important. Talking about how he puts on this mask of this hyper-masculine womanizer. Um, And I wanted to point out that we kind of have some understanding of why that is from previous seasons. And that's his need for intimacy. And also that it's something that I think is going to be a reoccurring thing in the future. But it's most evident now... And so I want to dig a little more into it. Um, So one thing to point out is when Dean comes back in season four, there's nonstop just anxiety and trauma and stuff going on up until this point. This is the first time that he really gets to take a break. It's also he has still remembers hell where for him it was about 40 years. So we're not just talking like, a few days or weeks or even month or two of trauma but for him it's been decades and he's just now reaching a point where he's 
able to slow down and cope with that. And when you go through trauma, your body, when you get to the end of it, um, or any sort of like interlude in the trauma, and your body kind of catches up to it, it almost crashes. And you need to find other things to cope and to comfort you. And I think it's important to note that this is really the first time we're seeing Dean sleeping. It's also the first time that, you know, we really see him looking for sex since he got back. He's wanting alcohol. He's wanting food. He's really wanting anything that's going to help him cope and deal. Now with the sex, I think that he seeks sex because it offers him physical intimacy and that he doesn't have a safe way of getting otherwise. Um, you know, when he comes back in season four, episode one in Lazarus Rising, he gets that hug from Bobby and we don't really know it then, but given the fact that it's been 40 years, I mean, this is the first soft loving touch that he's received in decades. And he's not the kind of person and doesn't really have the ability or vocabulary or opportunity even to seek that out from people that he trusts like Bobby or Sam going forward. So casual sex is really the only way that he perceives is available to him to have ongoing physical intimacy that is gentle and soft and kind, Um, which given what he's been through in hell regarding the torture that he's received and that he's dished out, he clearly is in desperate need of. And I think the reason that he puts on this mask instead of just being straightforward and being like, I want this for me, isn't for other people. I don't think he does it for Sam or anybody else. I think he does it for himself. Because Dean, as we see through season four, isn't in a position where he's capable of being vulnerable and acknowledging his feelings. Because if he did, it would break him. So essentially he has to put up this barrier between what he needs and why he needs it so that he can still have that need fulfilled and get the intimacy he needs without having to acknowledge and therefore process what he's been through and why he's so desperate for it. Um, And I think it's something that he'll continue to do, not just with sex, but in general with emotions in future seasons where he really doesn't have the skills to cope and deal with his trauma so instead of facing it and being vulnerable he puts on this mask and steps into his role in a different way so that he can still have his needs met and he has to do it in such an extreme way because otherwise there's the possibility that he would notice it and he would have to address it um yeah, so I think I think that that's something that we're going to see more from with Dean. But I think it's most obvious here in season four. So I just wanted to point it out. I'm really enjoying everything you guys are saying. And I look forward to hearing more from you. Thanks, guys. That was a heartbreakingly powerful voicemail. So firstly, thank you. Secondly, uh, I am now almost brought to tears. I, I, I had a moment while listening. Uh, thinking about that hug with Bobby and how that was the first human connection he'd had in 40 years. And I almost, I'm almost going to cry again. Um, 
But I you're right. I feel like so often we we picture Dean wearing this mask and putting on this persona for the people around him and not for himself. It's I don't want to compare it to anything specific, but it's sort of that like cheat code almost when you can get the thing, you know, you need, which for him is that intimacy, that connection without having to really give in for it. I mean, sure. Dean could definitely open up and connect with somebody and find the right person and have a true intimate relationship, but that would require a lot more effort and time and opening yourself up to more pain and risk and damage. He's found essentially a cheat code to put on this mask play the chauvinistic guy, get the hot drunk chick in a bar and just not have to actually work for it the way he should have to. But he still gets that kick he needs, that that connection he needs. You're right. One thing that I find really interesting with this whole, like the, the sequence of events in which this happened is that when we received this voicemail from you, Lucia, we had not yet put out our episode on the theme of coping, which is family remains. And so by the time you listen to us respond to this voicemail, we'll have published that particular episode. I just think it's really interesting because a lot of the things that you bring up about Dean coping are things that we do talk about in that episode. So I think that, you know, my response is going to to be a lot about things that we've already talked about, let him cope, (laughs) let him cope with trauma the way that he needs to, especially in the early stages, like you said, of when, when there's a moment for him to be able to kind of like relax from it and, and be able to, to offload, so to speak, let him cope however he needs to. So thank you. Thank you for reminding us of that today. Well, on that topic, I think we are due to listen to ourselves for a bit and reflect and see what actions we've been called to this week. Mm-hmm. I alluded to this earlier, and I realize in saying so, it sounds a lot harsher than it really is. But I really feel a kinship with Dean in this episode in the way that at least I perceived his regret of some of his previous choices and how he's living his life now. I don't think anything I've done is nearly to the scale of what Dean has to live with in himself. But I just mean the sense of, I mean, I've done things I regret. I've made choices that I look back on and whether for myself or for the people around me, the people affected, I wish had gone differently more for them than for me in most cases. I think the important part of looking back is I want to say, like, forgive yourself or like learn to accept it. And I feel like those are all kind of cheesy So I'm going to go with the more important call to action for myself, which is to just keep moving forward. I can't change what I've done in the past. You know, as someone who only came out of the closet a year ago as Pan, it's been a weird weight off my shoulders. It's not one that I expected to feel the way I did, but it really has had an effect. And there's the part of me that regrets not having figured it out and done it sooner. But then there's the part of me that goes, well, Tough shit, you know, was I ready to was it the right time? There's a thousand what ifs back there. But what I can do is I can look towards tomorrow and make decisions going forward. You know, I can't let past Drew haunt me. And you, my dear. 
Well, I mean, this was a very somber and emotional episode for many reasons. So I figured that I would go with the flow because we had originally scheduled to record this episode the day after the Uvalde shooting. And I could not. The grief was just too big. And the themes were too close to what we were going to talk about. And as our listeners probably know by now, I survived a school shooting in my late teens and I developed a post-traumatic stress disorder from it. I'm usually really good at handling news of mass shootings now since, that I, since I got treatment specifically for it, but some of them are still devastating. And those where the targets are children are the worst. So my call to action isn't going to be a political one because to me that's a given, you know, vote, call your representatives, make sure that they know what their constituents think, encourage others to call in as well, disseminate scripts, march and protest in a way that feels right for you. My call to action is to me and all of the people who have been affected by gun violence, show kindness and understanding to yourself. It's normal not to be okay after this. And try not to push yourself too hard. And know that you're not alone. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mehi Vigahu and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle, for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Lucia for her message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And leave us a rating and a review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com. And carry on our wayward friends. From Fluffy, you have food, sir. There's no need to scream. I have things to say and you have a microphone. (laughs) 